0: It's a Tech Tuesday, Carmi Levy is here. Nice to see you, my friend. Hi, John, great to be here, thanks for having me. Okay, so tell me how we generate solar power in outer space and bring it to Earth. Oh, this is wild. So this is a Caltech
1: experiment, and uh, they have proven that it actually works. Basically, they launched something. It's called MAPLE. It stands for Microwave Array for Power Transfer Low Orbit Experiment. And what they do is they collect sunlight, they convert it into electricity, and then they beam it back from orbit to a receiver on their campus in pasadena and what's different about this and they, they succeeded in doing it they did this uh earlier this year they launched january 3rd and they've been commissioning ever since and you know this the, the power from orbit has always been this sort of science fiction thing giant space stations with huge structures that are super expensive so it's It's been one of those sci-fi dreams for decades what this does is it shows it can be done feasibly and cheaply Uh, and it's the first time that it's ever been done from space some japanese researchers were able to do it on the ground this time they actually beamed it home from space which shows the technology works and it can be done using technologies that frankly anybody can build in their own garage
0: okay so i mean is this power from the heavens it kind of is, because as we know, I mean, power from the sun
1: is kind of, you know, free, essentially. The challenge has always been launching hardware into orbit where it's always sunny for the most part uh, or it's sunny enough that it, it, it you know, it, it's worth your while in a cost effective manner. And so what this does is it turns it from something that would take hundreds of billions of dollars, if not more, to develop at scale to something that could be done for, I don't know, maybe, you know, millions of dollars instead. So it brings it a, kind of an order of magnitude closer to reality. Uh, and what it does, it, it's not ready for commercial uh, prime time just yet, but what it does when you prove something on an experimental basis from space, uh, it will attract future funding. It'll attract additional scientists who go, oh, it works great. Now I want to study it. I want to be part of that engineering team. So it makes it more likely that within our lifetime we will see this at scale, you know, probably launching on a SpaceX rocket sometime soon.
0: Okay, our next topic just what I need when I need to buy unfortunately a new Apple iPhone and apparently there's going to be a new <laughs> headset. What's that about?
1: Yeah, get used to a new Apple product that you got to buy every few years. It's called the Apple Vision Pro. And if you've ever used an Oculus Quest headset, for example, it's kind of like that, but on steroids. It's not just virtual reality. It's virtual reality plus augmented reality, which allows you to interact with the world around you. And they call that XR or mixed reality. Uh, And basically what it does, it it looks like a high-tech pair of uh, skiing goggles, uh, and it allows you to interact with a 3D world. Put it on your head, and you're you're using spreadsheets. You're playing games. You're surfing the web. You're using your apps. You're doing all the things that you would normally do on a phone, on an iPad, on a on a MacBook, on on a le- regular laptop or desktop computer. But now in this incredibly uh, diverse, uh, incredibly high res, three dimensional world. And the cool thing is, is you're not sealing yourself off from all the people around you like a regular VR headset. It's it's see-through, and it can determine when there are people around you or not. So it'll become, if someone walks into the room while you're busy playing a game, it becomes more transparent, shows you who's there. They can see your eyes. You can see them. The speakers go down. So it's kind of it's the next generation of VR and AR. And Apple is hoping that when we stop buying iPhones a few years from now, that this is the device that we're going to get instead.
0: OK, and I understand it's a bit on the pricey side. <laughs> yeah, they're quoting a price of thirty four hundred ninety
1: nine dollars U.S. to start with, which when you convert that out, it's they haven't given an official Canadian dollar figure, but that's close. It's about forty seven hundred at current exchange rate. So close to five thousand Canadian plus tax and all that. And of course, you haven't paid for the content that will run on it. Of course, they had uh, Disney CEO Bob Iger on stage to show what all these Disney games and movies and content would look like in this cool 3D interactive world. We've been hearing a lot of talk about the metaverse, virtual reality, augmented reality, but no one's really sold anything that kind of busted out of experimental. It hasn't really gone mainstream because they're expensive. They don't really work all that well. They're kind of clunky. Apple is hoping that this becomes the next iPhone, that this is the device that breaks the logjam. jam. Um, and in fact, when Tim Cook first announced it, he said he didn't start with the device. He said, we're launching an augmented reality platform with hardware. So this is long haul stuff. They're not gonna sell a lot of first generation versions, but as we know with anything else, Apple, you don't buy version 1.0.
0: You let the early adopters buy it, and then eventually you buy version 2 or version 3. Okay, and when it comes to VR, I don't know if you've seen the pilot for Pete Davidson's new show called Bupkus, but um, there is the opening scene involves VR, and it is disgusting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't can't wait to see uh, Pete Davidson get his hands on one of these devices to see what he'll do with it, and I think that's what Apple is hoping we do is that, uh, and that's why they announced it at the Worldwide Developers Conference. It's a bunch of software developers who are you know, gonna get their hands on it, create new software, new apps, new experiences for this hardware that then the rest of us will use. Um, so this is really, th- this is the time when we roll up our sleeves, play with it, and see what it's capable of, In the hands of Pete Davidson, yeah, it would be disgusting, but it would also show what it's (laughs) capable of doing and why this is going to kind of be the next big thing. In future, we may not not need to buy smartphones or 4K televisions or or laptop or desktop computers. We'll just all have a headset, and that will be the one piece of technology that we need to buy.
0: We always seem to be big fans of Amazon Ring doorbells recording things that are useful, but apparently they've been spying on people as well. Yeah, Amazon was just fined uh, close to $30 million for two reasons by the
1: FTC, the Federal Trade Commission in the US. $25 million because uh, they were uh, they violated child privacy law and they deceived parents by keeping kids' voices and location data that were recorded by the Alexa voice assistant. So it's kind of bad. Bad enough when you're an adult, even worse when you're a kid. There are laws against that kind of thing. And another $5.8 million uh, because they uh, violated privacy of people who had ring doorbells basically they're holding on to data and then sharing it with law enforcement and other third-party providers uh, without the express explicit commission or permission of those who had actually bought the devices Amazon this is the first this is not the first time amazon's been fined or punished for it uh, and so this is a company that when you buy a ring device or or uh, an echo uh, speaker or you use Alexa you've got to be aware of it their data back end is pretty frightening from a privacy perspective. Um, but at the same time, you know, the the size of the fine, $30 million in total, this is a company that brought in half a trillion dollars in revenue last year. So I don't think it's really going to hurt them all that much. I think the fines have to be a lot bigger before, before companies like Amazon change their ways. But buyer beware when you're activating these services, be careful about the privacy implications of it.
0: Be interesting to see if this comes to Ontario, but Quebec is moving to ban planned obsolescence. So, effectively, our devices will be able to repair them.
1: Yeah, I mean, they call this a right to repair law. The European Union introduced its own groundbreaking re- regulation earlier this year, and then Canada followed suit in the last federal election. They mentioned that, that they want to move ahead with legislation that requires manufacturers to make their devices repairable. they have becoming hard, harder to repair in recent years, uh, you know, and you, you have a device that's just off warranty, a laptop, smartphone, whatever, and it's got a small problem. Maybe the audio port doesn't work. You go to get it, uh, get an estimate, and of course the the repair bill is just ridiculous, and it's not even worth it to repair. So we don't fix things anymore; we just throw them out and buy new. That's pretty consumer unfriendly. The EU has said nope; that needs to change. Quebec is now jumping on the bandwagon. It doesn't really make much of a difference because who really? You know, the Quebec market is pretty small compared to the global market, but it doesn't matter. It's a symbolic next step in ensuring that consumers have choices when their devices fail, that they can get things repaired affordably, that repair shops have access to parts and expertise and manuals and things like that, and that the devices that we buy are designed to be repaired. Because now, most of the time, you buy a a small electronic device, it's designed right from the start that when it breaks, you're buying a new one. And that, to me, is kind of dirty pool. Carmi, thanks so much. Good to have you. Great being here, John. Thank you.